you hit record on that bad boy? I didn't. So we're in new, these are new environs. We're not in oral argument world headquarters. No, we're in a remote location now. This is maybe an alternate recording location. Right. This, it, it's not our headquarters. It's very different. Yeah, this is, we're kind of guests here. The equipment is very different. Right. The chairs are not as comfortable. Oh, really? I can see you much better. <laughs> it's much more comfortable than my chair at, back in at oh, headquarters. Truly? Well, <laughs> you know how my chair works back at headquarters. Yeah, well, that's true. Or, or sort of kind of doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, it's not really. You love to hear me curse about it, though, I think. It's not great. Well, yeah, we, which you do before we begin, because, again, we're not allowed to cuss <laughs> on this show, but... Um, but yeah, this chair is not as, um, I'll have to, I'll have to think about chair issues. There, there are other chairs in this room. There are. I'm looking around now suddenly and I'm seeing there are, there's a quite a range of chair options. Is this why people tune in? <laughs> yes. You? Yes. No, they tune in to hear me say exciting. <laughs> Who, Speaking of feedback. <laughs> what did you enjoy that? I did. I, I finally listened to it this morning. It's actually quite embarrassing, <laughs> but, uh, but thank you. Uh, Reg Levy, uh, at Reg Levy, I guess it's the Twitter handle of that person who made that ringtone. The notion that that's something that utterance has become a ringtone is just very sad for me. Sad about the state of the world, not that person's enthusiasm. I love and applaud. So, if you follow us on Twitter at Oral Argument, you could see our mentions, and you, I, I think, yeah. I even retweeted that one, didn't I? Uh, you might have, yeah. We, we did get a bit of feedback. We did? Just, just yesterday or two days ago. Oh, you're going to go to that one. Okay, yeah. Shoot, this man. is from listener David on Facebook. Did Trump ban you guys or just working through some very complex speed trap litigation? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> is that... <laughs> there, there's New one ringtone. For, that's one for Reg, yeah. yeah. If we could w- work through a bunch of different exclamations from you You know we're going to do this at the con we're going to have uh we're going to have a ringtone competition which will just be people speaking into mics <laughs> and what turns out to be the best thing that's usable as a ringtone it would all it would be all joe that's for sure well i don't know audience members will participate so so have we been banned to your knowledge we haven't been working on any speed trap litigation although we're available for consulting on that obviously so, so, ab- absolutely um i mean at the very least we would be willing to kibitz on a brief you know, we were going to draft brief, give our feedback on that. So what, what David's referring to is that we were out for two weeks. Yeah, we were. We We'd really were, only been planning to be out for one, though, right? Yeah, there was a lot of travel involved at various parts and parties and et cetera, and uh, out-of-town guests and et cetera. There was one unexpected trip, I mean, that we didn't plan in advance. And I so I went on a college trip with my son, which was fun. Wahoo. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's fun. So I'm, we didn't, sure. we didn't, we didn't plan on that, so... You know, sorry, listeners, we are nothing if not inconsistent. We are consistently inconsistent. Yes, we're predictably unpredictable. Oh, boy. I'm sure Donald Rumsfeld has used that phrase at some point. Predictably <laughs> unpredictable. I, you got to go with it, the predictable that you have, not the one you wanted. Don't you think it's a known unknown? I think it's an unknown unknown. I think people know that they can't know whether we'll have a show each week. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> You're right. That's the right. Predictably unpredictable is a known unknown. Exactly. Wow. We just mapped that out. See what we did there, folks? Show over. <laughs> do we, what, else, what else do we have to do today? What are we, we going to do? I, I, dude, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I think this is going to be a short episode and it's going to be um, this is our throat clearing episode now we have a guest next week we do and and, uh, and then we have more holiday sort of travel issues that we need to talk about oh offline oh because uh, I'm going to be out of town for a while and I'm pretty sure people want us to do the logistics on air <laughs> on air and yeah. yeah I'm sure they do sorry I'm going to deprive you of that uh, then uh, we've speaking got, of shows which are consistent though um mike madison is going to be joining us again in january oh That's really exciting i did not know that yes i mean i knew that stuff was in the works but yes, talk about knowledge we, abundance and we usually don't preview and, yeah, we have another guest i know who's going to be talking with us soon yes but we, let's leave that one that's going to be uh, on election matters i love all our guests i'm grateful that they join us i know you are too I just think that Mike Madison is such a good friend of the show and, <laughs> you know, and I just wanted to give a shout out to him and, and this is a, I'm filling time here where we don't have a lot to say. So I want to entice <laughs> I think people. we have a lot to say. I want to entice people to come back. Next week's guest is going to be great. Well. <laughs> this is the way of saying listeners, don't worry. Next, next week's show is <laughs> yeah. going to be this amazing. Show, this episode is terrible. <laughs> 
I mean, this episode is just scraping the bottom of something. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, so well, if you want to pick it up, speaking you need of to, shows you that are interject and intervene, here. that are not scraping the bottom mm. of the barrel, oh, that are oh. not inconsistent. We got uh, an email that came in, a bit of feedback that came in on the new website. Instead of emailing oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com, which is a perfectly good way to get in touch with us. Yes. These guys got in touch with us through our little feedback form, our little contact thing on the, on the, on the new website. Oh, okay. And these are the First Mondays guys. Yeah, which is a fantastic First Mondays podcast. Um, Ian Samuel and David Epps. They just got in touch to say thanks for the shout out. And we may, maybe in the future we can have some kind of collaboration. Yes, That's I would the love works. them to be guests on our show. Obviously, obviously. They, they have um, a very graciously suggested we might be guests on theirs, which I'm sure was simply because of their very high quality rearing and they're very <laughs> polite. And so they... I heard on their last show they're hiring a producer. Wow. That, that's... I mean, they're big. We, we talked about this a long time ago that if you want... I think the market was hungry for a good Supreme Court show, which totally. will have a huge market. If yes. You, you do it right without nonsense and right. and, and they do uh, that and Amicus. I, those, those are your two podcasts, I think, I right there. I agree. And I think that um, SCOTUS blog mm-hmm. ought to do some kind of deal with First Mondays. Right. And uh, create a juggernaut. Are you thinking an aqua hire? An and, acquisition? No, I don't want to I don't want them to aqua hire because then you dump the t- you dump management immediately <laughs> when you do an aqua hire. Right. Um, and I don't want them to do that because there's only two folks in that team that I know of. I think we should say now there's no truth to the rumor that we are in advanced talks with Facebook in terms of an acquisition of this show. That is true. I, there's no truth to that rumor. Um, we are, of course, I mean, there's always that outside possibility of, what's that award? Oh, the Peabody. Yes, the Peabody. Oh, we're up for a Peabody, the, yeah, a, no yes, doubt. There's, you know, that's out there. That's, so I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> throw cold water on that. Apple had its year-end podcast they love kind of round up. Guess, guess who's ignoring us now, Joe? <laughs> well... Yeah, that was bound to happen, yeah. wasn't it? So, anyways, just shout another shout out to the first Monday's crew because it, it really is a fun podcast. A great podcast, well done. Yeah, new, new episode out this week, of course. Listen to it, folks. Make your life better. Okay, now we have another couple emails. We well, remember when we zipped up the mailbag last time? We did, and there was a little bit left in there. We did some things, yeah, but there were other things we didn't do. There are two emails in there from uh, from uh, listener Nicholas, if I remember, and. Yeah, well, it's really only one. I mean, he appended an earlier one to the recent one. so it's Oh, no, I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking oh. about um, the other listener, Nicholas, about originalism. Oh, that's right. You're right. We have Nikolai. We have two Nicholases. Oh, is it Nikolai? Well, we, this is oh. a plural of Nicholas. <laughs> we, you know, it's like octopus, octopi, Nicholas, oh, oh Nikolai. And then listener Asher as well. And both of those are on originalism. And I think I, I, if I remember, I, this is I'm I'm kind of kicking out the cobwebs here. You had mentioned we're we're definitely going to have more originalism shows. Totally, we're definitely going to do that. Absolutely. And both of these are on. So I think we'll 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 revisit these bits of feedback when we get back to it. Yes, agreed. And but we do have a listener Nicholas email that we want to deal with now. Oh, there's also a listener Spencer email related to that that goes with the other two. On original. Yeah, I'm just kind of going through the checklist here. We're just this is what people want to hear. They want to hear us going totally. go down it's a punch list. Absolutely. That you gotta do that. You gotta do that live. All right. Nicholas Georgiacopoulos. Yes. The issue that he raises in his We don't you don't want to just read it? Feel free to read from it whatever you would like to read from it. <laughs> I think that would be great. <laughs> I think you sound great. <laughs> I think this equipment is lovely. Uh, and I think it would be awesome if you read what you want to read. Don't ask me about what I want to read. Clearly, I don't want to read it. But if you do, I think you should. Have you explored your feelings about why you don't want to read it? I haven't yet. And mm. I think we can do that later. I think that's not <laughs> going to happen online. Some thoughts on broadcasting courts. I'm a little surprised that so many people and Dahlia, he's referring to an episode I think we did with Dahlia a while back. This is a piece of feedback that somehow fell through the cracks. Yeah. We, and we should say, if you've sent us feedback and you've heard nothing from us and you, we, did, we don't get to your feedback, well, I mean, first of all, we can't promise to get to everything. We can't. I mean, just 
you know, things happen. Right. But we do try. Yeah. Feel free to hit us up again. You know, maybe right. it fell through the cracks. Maybe, maybe there'll be a time when we can, when we can get to it. But or maybe you could put a new spin on it. By the way, as an aside, mm-hmm. Dahlia, if you're listening today, uh, would love to have you back on the show. Proceed. <laughs> we can just call her. You don't. Have we can. <laughs> you're right. You don't have to. You don't have to put it out like a message in a bottle in the podcast. We can do both. I can do that, and, which is now recorded forever, including for subsequent archaeology, uh, uh, and and in, we can do it later. Okay, so this is about broadcasting oral arguments from the Supreme of Court. the Supreme Court. Right. So, video. Uh, let's be more specific. It's about video because, of course, the court does now make uh, uh, audio files available on Fridays of argument weeks. Um, for example, the first Mondays. Uh, guys and Dahlia make uh, use excerpts from those audio. Yeah, uh, I listen to them as a podcast. That you, they're available in audio, just not in video, which is what Nicholas is writing about. And nor is the audio available live. It's not live streamed, as you indicated. It's on Friday, and right. so you know there's some questions of why not live, why not that, video, or even that same day. And the courts of appeals have different, like the Seventh Circuit. Uh, I think later that same day, you can stream very high quality audio of seventh circuit oral arguments on the web. It's great. I feel that the resistance to broadcasting is akin to the resistance to abandon the robes and wear normal clothes. Provocative, right? Um, Mm. Actually the resistance to broadcasting is even more salient. If we think of robes as mere, as merely ceremonial, preserving the mystique of justice, avoiding broadcasting does more. Not broadcasting preserves the impression that the law is objective. The chief justice can write in his Obergefell dissent, that the majority opinion doesn't follow the law, but if people saw him say it, that would undermine more the credibility of the court. People can read Bush against Gore, but they do not. If they saw it televised, we might undermine the incentives to comply with the law. Also, the performance aspect of politics due to broadcasting narrows the group among which we select our politicians. The oratory did the same before broadcasting, but why aggravate the problem? If we want to select the best legal minds for the court, why create an incentive to not select those who are not rhetorically gifted and not gifted about broadcast performance. Yeah, I actually think the um, of all of that, I think the last observation about a, a subtle pressure in selecting uh, one's nominees to that court or any court, being influenced by the tasks the people in that job have to perform. Right. That's that's an interesting. That's a uh, quite interesting observation. I mean, I'm. I'm I want to think about that one some more. The, 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 the first half of it, though, strikes me as quite implausible. Now, it's, oh. it's ultimately an empirical question uh, in one sense. Uh, we can't really get good information about the answer, though, uh, because um, we can't run the experiment where you mm-hmm. have two worlds, right. one of which has the video, one of which doesn't. Um, the, the reason it strikes me as implausible, and, and the, in fact, the reason it, it strikes me that, that even Nicholas probably doesn't think it's super plausible, uh, is because if you think about the argument and then just run it in reverse, right? right why isn't there a big campaign to bring back to U.S. practice um, wigs for judges? Uh, why are we allowed to see their faces at all? Why aren't they behind veils? Mm. Or, or why don't they sit with their chairs turned with the backs to the, of the chairs to the courtroom? Uh, well, because that, you know, it, first of all, it seems strange because it's just not how we've been doing things. And so the way we've been doing things, sort of, you get a status quo anti-baseline that seems, quote, normal. Um, and it has its own inertia. Um, but but the other reason I think is because we don't think this is a serious or, or or strong phenomenon, right? Oh my God, the mystique of the court is is just dangling by a spider's web thread. Uh, quick, uh, make sure we do more to engender mystique and anonymity uh, and a personlessness of the judicial role. Uh, I, I I just don't buy it. That's my hunch. That's my feeling, right? My thought. Um, but but it is. It does strike me as an empirical question. Yeah, empirical is a weird. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I mean, would it be? It posits that if we took a step, uh, the the psychological effect of that in the aggregate in public would be a, a certain effect on the perception of and the legitimacy of law as distinct from politics, right? Isn't that what he said? 
Yeah, I mean, there, there are multiple parts to it. And legitimacy? Yeah. The, I mean, the first, as you point out, is the, you know, you get a different kind of president if they're going to be on TV and their upper lip is going to sweat. This is the Nixon-Kennedy debates, right? The, the nature of the presidency changes. As I said, I, yeah. I, that, that point, the second point about the pressure uh, of who you would select based right. on the characters that are job, that, that actually sounds a bit, maybe even now that I think about it, dramatically more plausible than the first part. But the, um, the idea of the setting and the ceremony being important, you know, this is, we, I, I know we've talked about this before on the show. I can't remember. We've certainly talked about it in the context of legal theory with the Robert Cover article, mm-hmm. uh, Violence in the Word. Right. You, know, um, you know, the fact that the, the judge is raised above the litigants, this is also true in like Senate committee hearing or, you know, uh, legislative committee hearings. These subtle right. kind of, you know, human beings are not just, they don't just process one stream of information. They process all kinds of metadata. Absolutely. Right. And we agree and, about that. And the cover article has this great story of the sentence of, you know, of a criminal defendant being delivered in the robing room for some reason. You know, this is, so the judge is just at his regular desk in this story and the, and, and is not raised up on a dais and there's not right. all this other stuff. And, and the litigant, uh, not litigant, the criminal defendant starts, uh, being very upset, the family starts crying, it starts to get kind of violent. I mean, the whole situation is different because of the positioning of those human beings in that different environment. Yes. And so it's, you know, if you're a little but, bit but Burkean this, about it, then maybe you do true. worry a little bit. But but why not But why not dial it back then? I mean, why not, or, or, or explore stagecraft that emphasizes this even more? I mean, you know, what we have the wonderful example of, of the Wizard of Oz, that great uh, picture from back in the day, uh, you know, have a robe, have a giant, have a, have a, excuse me, have a, have a curtain, have a giant floating head, <laughs> uh, have shooting flame and smoke. Uh, I mean, boy, that looks very. Didn't real. we mention this in the last show? The la- the the giant floating heads in Superman two <laughs> no, at the beginning. I don't you, think we did. No, but you we, know what we, I'm talking about. Um, I do, and and uh, those great little hula hoop things that the guys are caught in. Totally. Um, so yeah. The, it, <laughs> You know, let's let's uh, let's look to the people who really understand stagecraft, uh, okay. uh, Hollywood, mm-hmm. and look at the examples they provide. And, and why isn't anyone clamoring to do this? I mean, it, boy, uh, well, because tradition, following a tradition of kind of presenting a proceeding, doesn't seem contrived because we are used to it. Like uh, we're, at one point, wearing wigs in a courtroom was like being surrounded by oxygen. Right? So now I'm thinking that maybe that's really what's at the core of the argument mm-hmm. is that we look, we have a practice that that um, maybe maybe having video would make it better. Um, maybe it would make it worse. Uh, I don't like the sound of the second option, making it worse. <laughs> so so I think I'll just stand pat. Um and in a in a context where there are no free expression interests or free press interests in play, um, that sounds perfectly acceptable as a reason. Um, that isn't our context, right? Uh, we do have free press and free expression interests. Free press meaning news gathering interests, right? Um, and uh, and so can we just leave it where it falls? When we say, eh, we have a settled practice, seems okay. Let me mention one other thing that I think, I think I'm right on this. Um, <clears throat> the, the, well, I know I'm right that the UK has a Supreme Court. They used to have a House of Lords. They now have this institution called the UK Supreme Court. And uh, it holds argument and has, it's a multi-member body and holds oral arguments uh, in, a, in a Supreme Court building uh, not too far from uh, Westminster Abbey. Uh, and... Uh, my recollection is uh, that those oral arguments are streamed online. Uh, they're certainly available by, by video, if not uh, while it's happening, uh, you know, within a short period of time. Um, the judges on that court do not wear robes uh, other than for purely ceremonial occasions. They wear, you know, professional, another word you don't like. Um, they <laughs> no, wear, but I know what they you wear typical lawyerly suit garb. Right. Um, the men and the women. Um, like they would wear for a nice dinner. Correct. And um, interestingly, the advocates, I think, 
still wear some of the old trappings. Right. Huh. So there's sort of a the barristers are wearing a wig and a black robe of a sort. But um, the justices of the court are not. I, that's my recollection. And um, and so if that's right, uh, we actually do have not a, a true experiment, but sort of a natural quasi experiment where. Um, I suppose we could look at some survey data from from the UK and see has the has the legitimacy of the court moved noticeably um, compared to you know the reputation of I don't know the law lords during the House of Lords yeah. era or yeah. something of that nature. I mean, we might I don't know how much we're retreading stuff we've already. I have no memory of anything we've ever said on this show, so let that let cool. that be let that be a given. Okay, so maybe we're retreading, but it seems you, to me you have frequently called me Adam Smith. I just want to put that I on do the remember that okay. vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. Um, I think it's because of what you said. I don't think it's like a resemblance, a physical resemblance. I don't, but I don't know. I, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't either. I don't I don't know that I know what he looked like. I either. don't I yeah. I, I there's a you know, I know what his head looks like, I think, but I get him confused with all the other people wearing wigs. Right. All those Scottish Enlightenment types. Um you know, there are two senses in which the you know, engaging in a in, in a performance can matter. One of them to which, you know, Nicholas refers is, is people upset, is people accepting what happens in that, in the course of that performance as being something objective, like consistent with the character that the judge is playing. You know what I mean? So if there's this, uh, you know, august formality and non broadcast, it's like what happens here, like, streaming it live doesn't matter because what happens here in a way was predetermined and not streaming it live shows that there's kind of a predetermination, you know, all kinds of things that go along with the way that it's performed and the way it is not broadcast. Right. And so, you know, that might matter to the extent that it helps people on the audience side believe a certain thing about what has happened there. You know, that, that it, it is objective. It is not subjective, but another sense in which it might matter is it may matter to the judge Right, the judge who wears the robe may act differently mm. because he or she is wearing the robe. Right, the judge who is not live streamed may subtly, with all these other things, internalize the idea that what goes on here is, you know, something which is a function of my role and not other parts of me. So now, I, I'm skeptical about this. No, I'm this just trying a, to restate these a, arguments. This is I'm a very marginal, skeptical. This is a marginal effect of a video at, uh, above audio. Right. That's right. what we'd be talking about. In, and the delay in, in the time. audio means, you know, it's a way of saying that this is not news. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I think you're right. There are very subtle uh, possibilities here, and one wants to be careful about them. Uh, let me put yet another consideration on the table. And l- before you do that, just, <laughs> I love, <laughs> I wish we, <laughs> if, if we did have some other cover art, it would be you making that face. <laughs> I don't even know what that face looks like. It's, it's I don't it, make it up myself. It is self-contained rage and loathing, I think. But <laughs> so unfair. No, but I mean, just to just to build on the point that you made, it is subtly different when when you and I are in here and we and we're, we just hit record, and you know that maybe I will chop something out. You know, I like to go live to tape, but yeah. but even if it if, even if we know that it's live to tape, and then I'm not going to do any editing there's a delay between when we record this and when it goes out. Sure. And it feels different than it does if, if, if we were, you know, when we've done this live in front of an audience. Right. Right. So that bit of stagecraft is different. Right. I also wonder if we would just feel different about this recording if we knew that it was being live streamed, like some podcasts do, you know, would that make you, would you think about what you're saying in a different way? Yeah. It's it's certainly, it strikes me as uh, quite possible. Yeah. Uh, And, and not surprising that it's, quite possible and um, we can think about the performative aspects of our teaching and uh, you know being in a classroom versus is it being audio recorded for some purpose versus is it being video recorded for some purpose uh, we've, I've been in all those scenarios yeah I remember especially early in teaching I was like I don't want any record of anything that happens here <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to be made whatsyllabi right right syllabi will be shredded daily yeah this, <laughs> uh, uh, absolutely um, so yeah I get that uh, and, and we can all relate to it. And that's what makes these arguments um, somewhat relatable. Let me put another thing on the table. Okay. Another consideration, which, which is, I think, analytically distinct from the free press slash free speech considerations. And it is this. 
there is an elites and and inequality argument that I think is important. Uh, and it cuts in favor of having video. Uh, and that is that there are people in, there, there actually are people in that courtroom and they're seeing it. And uh, there are, there's a special section for members of the Supreme Court bar, for example. So you can go attend an argument that you're interested in, even if you're not a party in the case. There's a public portion of the courtroom where people can sit. That public portion is managed in certain ways. Sometimes you're allowed to sit for the whole argument or a whole series of arguments for that day. Sometimes you're only allowed to be there for a certain short period of time. And this is all beautifully managed, by the way, by the court personnel. They're very uh, adept and smooth at managing this process. Um, and so I, I applaud the great job that they do. It has certainly made the times I've seen arguments in person much more enjoyable. Having said all that, uh, if Nicholas is right that there is an important facet of law and legitimacy that comes from not being seen, it actually only applies to some people because other people do get to see it. So this starts to look like there's a subtle insider-outsider thing, which makes me uncomfortable in the context where we have, a, we, we have to decide not to use readily available low-cost technology right. to eliminate the inequality. Uh, now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, different story, right? Different technology. Not, easy, not as easy to do. Now, very easy to do, right? Technologically, financially. Um, uh, so now the decision to privilege the people who are seeing it in person, and so they can see the chief justice say what he says in Obergefell. And I remember reading news coverage at the time, right? This is the marriage equality case. And I remember news coverage of people who were in the room who, who when he read his dissent, and we could go listen to it now, I guess, and see what we thought of what we could hear in the audio, but people who saw it uh, and heard it um, thought that his affect was a bit uh, negative. And yeah, um, I heard that from people in the room. It, we may have even talked about this yeah, on the show so, with Dalio. So, you know, um, so that's real. And to, let's assume that I'm remembering correctly. So that's real and that happened. Right. And, I, I just don't under, I don't get why I, I get I get an argument about why no one should see it much more than I get an argument about why some people should but some people shouldn't. Yeah. Did I? Is that yeah. No. I, the the non broadcast decision, the and the delayed audio decision, tries to say the specifics of what happened here don't matter, right? In, in some kind of general way. Of course, they do matter. You know, but. But you were there's no disadvantage to having been here on that day. This is these are these are timeless proceedings. They are like in 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 that weird sense predetermined, although not in the full sense. But in other words, they try to say there was no advantage to having been here to observe what happened. Right. Right. And and what you point out is the revealed preference of a bunch of people is to show up and see one of these things, right? To sh to see the actual. And, and you you point out that maybe there were things you could have picked up were you there that you wouldn't have from reading the transcript, even if you were inclined to read this transcript, which, which maybe doesn't matter in this larger sense. Right. Uh, and those things don't have the same formal legal status, obviously, right? You can't, and this I think we did talk about. Although the opinions sometimes say, you know, at oral argument, you know, so-and-so conceded or this happened. So it's not, no one would say that they don't matter. But yes, oh, that's an interesting, that's an especially interesting observation because that's, that's where the, the, the moment from the live experience gets... Um, filtered into the formal product, right. which has the, uh, the status of legal authority, the thing we accept as legal authority, or the, the written judgment, the written opinion. And so, uh, save for that, right? Like, compare that um, passage in an opinion, you know, uh, petitioner conceded and then a citation to an oral argument transcript page right? or, or not just they say at oral argument and we know that it's true we can go verify mm -hmm. that, right um compare that to someone who cites a transcript uh 
uh, to note that uh, there was laughter in the courtroom, which is noted in trans- in Supreme Court transcripts from time to time. Yeah, uh, that there was laughter. Uh, and Scotus humor on Twitter, aka Jay Wexler, law professor Jay Wexler, keeps track of these things. So, so that's not, you know, why would you be citing that for what legal proposition? I'm not sure. Um, is it is it does it have a, a, some sort of authoritative legal meaning? Like, does it mean this that the the utterance is legally funny? Like, no, that <laughs> seems weird, right? So. Um, and then, and then consider a, yet an even different thing, right? You know, I was there in the courtroom. I saw the argument when the court asked that question, which they're now discussing the answer to in their written judgment. This justice who was asking it looked, you know, bored, happy, angry, sad, whatever. Name your emotion. Aghast. Aghast. Uh, okay. <laughs> so what? Right. No one does that because it doesn't have any legal consequence of the kind that the written opinion does. Right? These are obviously all just matters of social practice, blah, blah, blah. But um, what it illustrates is that the fact that people can see stuff is separate from the way we use things as legal materials. Mm hmm. And we can hold all this in our mind, right? The the people who are professionally trained, and maybe Nicholas says, well, wait a minute, what about all the people who aren't professionally trained? No, that's a fair point. Like, what, what would they perceive? What do they think is proper or improper? I just don't... The, the, the notion that there's, you know, there's a lot of people in D.C. who get to do this and see this, and they're not tainted by it in some fundamental way, such that we bar them all from the courtroom. So it, so it does speak to the idea that the kind of the effect on the listener or viewer is not one we should be worried about, or at least if we are worried about it, we should be more egalitarian in our worries about that. It doesn't necessarily speak to the concern about the effect on the justices themselves of speaking live before a small audience, you know, versus being on the SCOTUS equivalent of C-SPAN. Right. And, uh, and, you, could, and yeah. you can imagine to connect that point to the other observation that Nicholas uh, offered, um, you know, you can imagine a person who uh, perhaps was a was especially a private or s- experienced some level of anxiety with the notion that there is video uh, of them in this context uh, available for now and for posterity. Um, that someone confronted with that possibility might say, you know, Mr. President, I thank you, or Ms. President at some point, uh, thank you for offering, but no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't take the job because I can't handle that. That's, uh, you know, the Senate hearing, it's, that's a one-shot thing. It's going to be a few days. It's going to be pretty grueling, but, but you know, I, that I can manage. But this notion that every time I go to an argument, I'm basically back in that Senate hearing room in some way, right? being recorded visually and broadcast. I can't handle it. Uh, that's possible. It's possible someone could say that. I, I, you know, really? It strikes me as unlikely. But uh, but again, it's possible. And it, it definitely does change the definition of the institution and its constitution, its composition, as you change the, you know, the assignments, the publicity, the the um, whether you wear robes or not. I mean, all of these things may change people's interest in it. It may change the audience's perception. I think all of that is true. You know, as a, I'm certainly a realist about the fact right. that this is all social psychology, you know, in the end. Um, I, I yeah, wonder, it's the difference between yeah. effect size. It's, it's the difference between the existence of an effect and the size of an effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and the size of a change measured against the status quo ante. And I think effects. But how do you feel? Are you, are you in favor of broadcasting uh, these things live? Um, I, I, I am in favor of them being carried on C-SPAN and and everything that that means. Video. So, so it would be right. So it would be video recorded. Um, it, it could be shown if C-SPAN wants to have it uh, live. Fine. Um, it, but in any event, it would be broadcast at some point. You know, that evening, the next day. Maybe it could also be lots of C-SPAN videos also available online long after the fact uh, so it could be used that way but but you'd be for live video streaming yeah I, I they should do however they treat senate proceedings and house proceedings they should treat supreme court proceedings they often treat agency proceedings that way 
Um, absolutely. Yeah, I think I definitely agree. Do you, do you think different, differently about this in the context of authoritarianism? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, has it, has, have, have recent events changed your view? I mean, I think you were always in favor of broadcast. I was. Yeah, so maybe it doesn't. Video it, broadcast. Yeah. Does it take a different, does, does this whole thing take on a slightly different valence? You know, the idea of an institution working... It's not secret. There's nothing secret about it. I mean, this is the Supreme Court, you know. No, when that's you, when, my equality they, point. Yeah, it's when they, far from secret. Exactly. They, you'll hear them defend the no broadcast rule and they'll say, we're the most open institution. And what, you know, who else gives, you know, uh, basically writes volumes of dialogues between them about their reasons, right? And, and there's a great point in that. There's great merit in that observation. It's just not a complete, uh, you know, we're the most open. Okay. I can imagine lots of low-cost ways to make yourself dramatically less transparent. Why aren't you taking them? Oh, because transparency is important to you. Okay, how about this other very low-cost way to make yourself more transparent? You don't want to do that? Why not? I guess, you know, one other thing I'm thinking about here is I've been thinking a lot lately about a normative vision for law as as a social instantiation of interpersonal decency. Mm. This is my a kind of guiding light in my thoughts about just, you know, forget the descriptive part, which I've written about and we've talked about, but the, but in terms of what law should do, right. And, and, and for that vision, I think you should be sensitive to the ways that, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a virtue ethics approach. Like you want to put people in roles where they are most likely to be their, their best selves, or at least not their worst selves. Right. And, And with that view, maybe you do worry a little bit, you know, there's the, the, the justices themselves have talked about grandstanding and the dangers of grandstanding. You know, forget public perception for a moment, which was Nicholas's main point, but right. the the way that it affects what the institution is. You know, I mean, being on video live, it, it does change. Yeah, I mean, l- let's face it. This conversation is a little bit different than if we didn't have these cameras. In, I mean, these uh, microphones in front of our sure, faces, right? I've, no question. And, and, and we're can, in this different environment today. I, I feel I feel a little bit restrained today. Yeah, and I, and I can I can point to a very specific example, which I'm happy to describe. I think I've mentioned it in passing in the past, but if I haven't, here we go. Um, the audio availability mm-hmm. of oral argument at the Seventh Circuit. I mentioned this earlier in this show. It's it's very immediately available, high quality audio. Um, and, and I listen to Seventh Circuit arguments from time to time. Uh, and I remember quite vividly when I began doing that a few years ago um, that my perception of Judge Posner changed dramatically. And that's because he is, at oral argument, frequently extremely cantankerous, <laughs> obnoxious, um, belittling, toward the lawyers, I think he, per- he behaves in a way that I would myself categorize as highly unprofessional. And if he were a friend, like if I saw you behaving that way, well, first of all, if I saw you <laughs> behaving that way, I would think that you were in the middle of a terrible stroke. <laughs> um, but but, but <laughs> after I verified that you weren't, I would say, Christian, I you know, I care about you a lot and you're my friend. And so I need to talk to you about this because yeah. this can't go on. Right. right. Um, and, and I didn't know that about him. Um, and I mean, I'd heard adjectives like, you know, forceful and, um, and, uh, uh, tireless and, uh, you know, a bulldog and this sort of thing at oral argument. I mean, some judges have that reputation, but, but this is, this, you know, when people's tastes vary, et cetera, et cetera. I, well, stuff, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's different kinds of people. And it sounds terrible to me. I mean, it sounds really awful. But you don't think that the immediate audio availability has changed that about him, do you? No, it's changed my perception. Right. Right. Your point that you, you can, you know, people, when people will see it, right, it, first of all, it, it might, and maybe it, maybe it would, again, change some appointing officials, Right, and this could be true in state court. It could be true in in, in federal court. Right, um, you know, at some point in the future, is a senator, is a president, going to ask, you know, what does this person sound like on TV? Like, is, are they going to be a, a total mess? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they are, is this such a great idea? Right, 
Um, has your view changed in terms of the excellence of his legal opinions? The written opinions, no, I enjoy them, and um, and I think they are um, uh, they they are creative and incisive and weird, and I think they're wonderful. Right. Um, so that that hasn't changed at all. Um, but but I'm I, so I have to compartmentalize the fact that there's this guy who, when you listen to a bunch of oral arguments, um, not always, obviously. Um, but but with a not small number of cases, right, sounds like just a total horse's ass. And you wonder, what is this about? You know, right? I, I've not listened to many, if maybe just a few. And, and the only one that I can that really comes to mind is the gay marriage case. And I, I forget which what it was. Which, which one was that that the Seventh Circuit heard? It was. Um, I'm not going to remember the name now. No, we, I think we talked about the opinion. We, we talked about his opinion. And we but, talked about uh, Judge Sutton's opinion in the Sixth Circuit as right. well. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah, so so that oral argument was kind of spread around the internet quite widely because mm. of his he was very dismissive right of the state and but in ways that people cheered on because partly because of the issue and partly because it was a you know it's it seems like kicking down right when you're kicking against the state which is you know deprived these people of rights for so long. So it's maybe easier to get behind but but you're describing a more general tendency which sounds like the stereotype of the kind of the Chicago approach to combativeness over legal scholarship, no, no, that, but, but it, on steroids. That w- yeah, on steroids. That wouldn't bother me. It's the, it's, it's, it seems... N- nor, um, I, I mean, that wouldn't bother me at all, I think. Right, but, it, but no, these are instances where it, got, it, w- it kind of went way over the top on that and, and kind of got denigrating and got more vituperative uh, and made me wonder, what is this accomplishing? Now, like, do you, how does this yeah. help him decide the case or understand the case better or understand the arguments better? Or I just don't, I don't understand. I didn't understand it. And it made me feel like, Oh, this is not good. This What's is- the role of like a range of personalities on a court and, and is calling out nonsense as non as nonsense, an important function of oral argument, you know, or, or is it just the rare case you think that, you know, you should get a having no decency left, sir, kind of <laughs> <laughs> rejoinder? You know yeah, what I mean? It's hard to say. I mean, I, you know, I don't I've, I've never been in that role. I never will be in that role. So I don't know what it's like to walk um, a, a mile in his shoes, much less the thousands of miles he's walked. I mean, he's been a judge for a very long time. Um, and because it must be frustrating to be faced with like a bunch of legalese and you know, appeals, obvious appeals to certain legal positions, which make no sense. And, you Undoubtedly. know, but, it, but it's funny, you know, when I hear his, uh, his colleagues, you know, judge Hamilton, um, uh, uh judge Wood, uh, who, uh, is also a teacher at university of Chicago and has that experience was at the antitrust division, highly accomplished lawyer, incredibly incisive thinker, great opinion writer, you know, she just says, look, here, here's what doesn't make sense to me about what you're saying. Or here's what I, here's why I can't square that with this other thing. And she's just very matter of fact about it. And she's been a judge for a while. You know, she's got things to do that day, just like everybody else. Like what? Uh, yeah, I'm at a disadvantage because I haven't heard the, uh, I haven't heard the arguments that you're talking yeah, about. These, so it, yeah, and these were just, I, I apologize that I'd gone on at such length. These were just meant to be illustrations of the fact that you're right to say that this can really change, this phenomenon could really change people's perception of, um, of the degree to which law is trying to harness cooperative energy and the ability to accomplish things socially that we couldn't accomplish individually. Right. Um, and that, and that having weird and temperate, uh, law stuff going on right in front of people's faces, right. Might undercut that or could, or, or could cut against that if that's the point you were making. Yeah. I, hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, I was talking about the way, you know, in, in, in general, the way that, that law, you know, through coercion and, and lesser means puts people in positions where they can either be excellent to one another or take advantage of one another. Right. Yeah. We, I think we talked about this in the context of like the coast theorem and, you know, mm-hmm. and property rules and liability. It's all trying to figure out like, how can we, how can we cut through the nonsense here? How can we get you to, to make a good deal in a right. in efficiency sensor? How can we get you not to treat your neighbor as a means, but as an end? Like what, what right. how do we design a society where, you know, that in th- short, how do we get is, you not to put your air, your airplane seat back? Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. I mean, we, you know, this is our <laughs> getting back to our bread and butter, right? right. Um, how do we get you to flash your lights at, at oncoming? <laughs> how, how can we nudge things to get Joe to, to be a better person towards his fellow driver? Mm, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> but this is at a meta level, right? Like right. how do we design these secondary institutional rules in such a way that we get the right kind of deliberation in a group to produce the right, you know, this is the makeup of the Senate, the makeup of the House. We're trying to make them, you know, the, the original idea was to make them responsive to different constituencies so right. that you couldn't get just one source of power like jamming through, you know, query whether this works. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, the public choice people would say it doesn't work at all. And right. I'm sympathetic to that. But but the idea of, of designing institutions to create a certain kind of excellence at what they're meant to be is has long been with us. And and I'm just thinking about interpersonal de- interpersonal decency as an as an overriding, like that people really want to do that if they can, and they get into situations where it's difficult. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just wondering how that applies to this situation. And I'm at a bit, a bit of a disadvantage because I have a little bit of a cold. Mm. Uh, a bit, bit of a disadvantage because I haven't heard these oral arguments that you're talking about. Like, does you know, what is it that makes people intemperate? Do we not want intemperance? Um, does intemperance mean that you drink a lot? <laughs> uh, <laughs> temperance, yeah, temperance. Sophrosune, the Greek virtue. Mm. Uh, I think I think not um, drinking to excess is simply uh, one uh, one example of being uh, temperate. Or Have, having temperance. Do you think we should totally rule out the idea that there should be an open bar at oral argument? <laughs> <laughs> I do not think we should rule that out. At all. <laughs> should it be totally ruled out? No. I think you don't want. Uh, I think you don't want people with beverages in that courtroom simply because it's an historic site, and it would be bad to have people spilling stuff. <laughs> I think that's a good reason not to have. Yeah, beverages in there. Do I? It's it's an interesting question. Would they do a worse job with a with a slight buzz? <laughs> <laughs> this is sort of that the doesn't mad, strike me. This is the Mad Men theory of the Supreme Court, right? I guess so. It doesn't strike me as obvious. Drunk. Yeah, mm-hmm. and who knows? This may have been the practice. For all we know, several decades passed. Great point. Yeah, uh, nothing is obvious, is it? But where were we going with this? Just the the um, the decency, interpersonal decency, is something you can um, is something the law can think about in in many different ways and many different facets of of legal institutions and legal practices, and that extends to what is it like to actually be living out that legal moment. Um, you know, jury service, we've both done that recently. I've been called to jury we, service. and We and, attempted to. Right, and yeah. we're put through a voir dire process. I certainly was. I, I was. Were. Um, you know, the trial judge. Ironically, about alcohol. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the trial I judge. Had to, I had to disclose my personal policy about drinking and driving. Nice. Uh, the trial judge the, in the courtroom that I went to uh, here in Athens, Clark County, uh, was very... Uh, polite and warm, so he was polite but not cold. He he seemed f- like friendly, but also had some uh, uh, some feeling of authority. I mean, it was he he s- seemed very nice, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that made the experience better for everybody involved because most of the people in the room, this is one of the few engagements they have with the legal system, like in a year or two or three or four, right? Um, and so it's nice that it's this nice guy. Who's doing it, right? This judge who's running the process seems knowledgeable, friendly. Uh, it's treating everybody with great respect, right? Um, showing that he'd like to be treated that way too, and he understands he can afford that to everyone else. Um, it was kind of a great same, experience. Same with my judge. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember her name, but um, I don't remember his name either. I wish I could because I'm saying such nice And and but, you know, I was there all day, so I saw uh, I think three different panels, and because oh, they're wow. picking juries for the rest of the week, and okay. these are like misdemeanor crime yeah. type cases and uh, the DUIs and it's certain other kinds of things. And, and the lawyers were a varying quality and sure. you could tell like some, some were obviously going to have, you know, they were lawyerly, but the jury's going to say, you're, you're kind of acting kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I don't, anyway. Um, uh, but, but the, the judge was the same, right? You know, things were, they went on time. The judge right. was careful to explain and, yeah. um, and you can, yeah. and you can imagine, uh, this has never been my experience, and I've been to, called to voir dire for jury service in, in a number of different jurisdictions. Um, but you can imagine, uh, unfortunately, a, a judge 
who was very belligerent and disrespectful. And that would be terrible. I mean, it would be a terrible experience both to, to be in that experience, but it would also be a terrible message to send to people in terms of their engagement with the legal system. Yeah, and I don't know if I've seen any studies about this, about judicial attitude and then what happens in the jury room. Mm. Like the judge who's impatient right. and cutting the lawyers off and and kind of non-explanatory and more authoritative. Like, does that lead to different kinds of deliberations? There's got to be research about this, right? But well, I don't know be, that I've seen it. There could be simulation research. It's not, you know, research on... No, yeah, I mean, jury mock jury kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, right, right, because that's yeah. uh, unlawful in, in virtually all places in the United States. Yeah. Um, Do you think we ought to have juries? I think they're very important for criminal cases, um, especially serious criminal cases. I, I, I'm not at all sure about whether we should have them for civil cases, no. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just not sure about it. I think the workers' compensation process is an illustration of ways that you can have... Um, remedial systems that um, can be effective and uh, cost less and um, more reliably return uh, results to in a timely way and a good reliable way that and those don't use and you're just less less concerned about like a an institution which reflects whatever the law is kind of the conscience of the community in those cases well and I think that's uh, that to me is so central to criminal law that I, it would be hard for me to imagine that not being true in criminal law, but in civil cases, certainly in large commercial civil cases and sort of like, you know, in patent litigation, something I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with that, right. Do we need to have juries as the conscience of the community and whether yeah. this thing has this lever? No, uh, we just need to get rid of it. Get rid of what? The patent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the right. You want to banish the patent. Yeah. 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 I, I only, you know, because um, we, don't, we don't need to have a show about juries right now, but we're just kind of rambling. This is kind of easy street. But like, I'm just saying that, that, uh, that, you know, that we've got a couple of questions we're trying to answer with a, with a jury. Like, yeah. you know, what's true about the past and what's right about now, right? And, and, and the jury is a technology for ferreting out truth is, you know, gets to this overall question that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And that's yeah. like, you know, how do we help people figure out what's true. Well, and you could get some of the advantages of a multi-member body without having a lay jury. So I was answering the question as if you had asked me maybe a slightly different question, which is about, you know, lay juries as we currently practice. Mm -hmm. um, you, you can have, if you think there's benefit to having more than one brain, uh, kind of asking questions, weighing evidence, synthesizing things, figuring out what's the best answer, um, you can have multi-member panels uh, that aren't lay juries that are that are answering fact questions. Sure, that could be a great practice, um, depending on subject matter area. Uh, and there are even ones where community standards might be appropriate. It might be that defamation and the understanding of harm to reputation uh, is something that is every bit as it, it benefits that dispute every bit as much as it would a criminal case to have members of the community there to give their sense of of whether something would or wouldn't be defamatory. It's possible. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I've obviously just kind of poked my finger into this hornet's nest of, of jury research, and like <laughs> this is a huge academic area, so it's almost it silly is. that I even raise it like this. But uh, yeah. What if, yeah, I just thought of this as you were talking. Like, what, what if we picked our legislature from a veneer? What do you mean? Well, instead of having elections, we just randomly call people. Yeah. Constitute is, them every year. This is year. sort of an old... Uh, this is It's a little a, bit like the grand jury in a way. I mean, you know, but... And it's a kind of a cautionary... I've, I feel like I've, this is in Plato's Republic, the, the notion that we should be suspicious of giving power to people who seek power. Like, seeking power is a disqualification for receiving it. I think you're thinking of people chained uh, and looking at a cave wall. <laughs> I think that's in there too. I think that's in that same thing. <laughs> Why that? It's a pretty expansive book, really. Yeah. There, oh, there's so so much in that book. So much. We should do a show about Plato's Republic. Just in that. Listen, we'd have to do more than one episode. I think that was transformative to me when I was in really? high, when I was in high school, and I was I was really uh, let's just say disconnected from my high school community, mm. and uh, uh, you know I was it, it was taking some math classes at. I took those at the university and I, so I, was, I had my one foot in this other kind of 
you know, academic plane and, and was subject to high school rules. And I was a typical jerky high school kid. I'm sure, you know, we were all insufferable as young people. We've talked about this recently, right? Yes, and I, I, I certainly was more than my share of insufferable, but, yeah. but it felt like a lifeline reading Plato's Republic. Did you talk about it with anyone or were you just reading it on your own? I just read it on my own. There was no internet. Like these days I'd go to, you know, I'm sure there's like R slash Plato on Reddit or something like that. (laughs) But, but no, it was, it was on my own. And, and I, in fact, I remember coming back to oral argument again. I remember saying, my God, this is so, this stuff in here is so interesting. And I was at this high school in, in South Carolina and South Carolina politics was what it was at that time from my perspective then still now basically utter crap. I mean, you know, the way elections are just, just election rhetoric, you know, about issues. It's like th- there was none of the excellence that seemed to exist, at least in ancient Greek. Now, of course we know Socrates was, was, was killed for his, right. So <laughs> there is that, <laughs> there is that. Uh, but you know, it was, it was like, there's a window here into a different way of thinking about the world. And none of my world reflects this way of thinking. Right. And I felt a little bit isolated, but also I felt a little connection with it. Cool. And, and then, um, and, and then I was in, because I was doing these other classes. So I had these free periods uh, where I'd sometimes just go to the library and in the library, they had Harper's magazine. Mm. Have I said this on the show before? I don't think so. Have I talked to you about this before? I don't think so. Oh, so, and I would read Harper's, you know, every, every month and, like most people, I think I started reading the Harper's Index when yeah. someone showed it to me, but then I got into the articles and right. everything. And, and one, uh, one month there was a transcript of the Supreme Court argument in Texas against Johnson, the mm. flag burning case. Sure, sure. Um, edited by Jack Hitt, uh, who I later got to meet and everything. Really, mm. it, it, really interesting guy. And... And and he told me actually, you know, when I told him this story, that that what he'd done because at that time I think this is my memory of what he told me, the transcripts didn't reflect who said what. Right. It was right. It was justice, counsel, whatever. And right. and so he, I forget how he said he did it. He went into the courtroom and somehow made some notes of some kind, mm. just to indicate who was talking when. And then they got the transcript and they were able to go back in and say who was asking what question. So anyway, that's an aside. But when I read that transcript, I was like, my God, this is where it is. Right? This is where the legacy of Plato's Republic is. Mm. Not in any particular theory. Like I wasn't that sophisticated as a kid to, you know, and I knew very little philosophy and uh, even less law and, and very little about politics. But, you know, I was exploding with ideas as any insufferable kid <laughs> at that age is. Right. And, and I remember thinking, this is like wow, there is an institution where this kind of thought, this kind of thinking is occurring because it certainly is not in political campaigns that I see on right. TV or news that I see reported. Right. And, you know, you know who, and, and several years later, of course, now I'm teaching law and I'm in law school and, you know, went to law school. But it never occurred to me at that age that I could ever do that kind of law and that kind of thinking. Because for me, law was, you know, what you saw on police procedurals. It was... Uh, you know, DUI lawyers, it was like, you know, lawyers, it wasn't the same as, right. you know, w- whatever they were doing was something different. And I never, I never saw a possibility to do that sort of thing. Basically, I didn't really know what law was. I didn't know that, that even the lawyers that I knew were engaged in this kind of thinking all the time. Right. Um, so anyway, that's a, that's a story about like how I experienced a Supreme Court argument as yeah. a young, basically as a child. Right. Uh, and it was, for me, transformative precisely because you saw these people wrestling, in that case, w- with the principle of free expression, how it is clearly not an absolute, yep. right? Uh, I, think, I think you mean you read them. Uh, you didn't see them. Yeah, well, <laughs> you said, what, what I, I saw them wrestling with it. No, you didn't. Yeah, no, <laughs> you, you read a transcript of mm. them wrestling with it. You see what I'm <laughs> When I say that, I'm thinking of mental pictures and mental right. experience. Right. I mean, and, what, and you worked for a judge and you've been in courtrooms and you have a rich uh, set of experiences on which to draw. Um, and no, I mean, when I was reading that as a high school student, you know, on the page of Harper's. OK. I saw it. Right. I, I saw a world. Right. Uh, that cared about the kinds of things. Right. That I cared about. And somewhat heroically, I thought. Yeah. You know, of course, at that point, I'm a huge First Amendment triumphalist and. Right. And I still do think that decision was right. 
you know, absolutely correct. Um, I, I would like to think I have a more nuanced view of, of how people debate the Constitution now. But, but, but no, I, I, I saw a world there. So yeah, I don't, you know, it was maybe a slip of the tongue because my tongue is always slipping, as you know, with these mm. sorts of things. But I think I meant that. Hey, we got to go do that other thing. All right. Do we want to say anything else? Nope. <laughs> we'll be back one next of these week. days. One of these days you will have a, a one more thing. Nope. Like a Steve Jobs style. We'll be back next week.